remember last Inspire, as I mentioned before, we had the young interns up. There were nine out of the ten of them lined up across here. Oh. Is that a hint? <laughs> I've got to do some washing. Um, and one of them was Rob Moura. Now, believe it or not, Rob has parents. Kathy, <laughs> Kathy and Fernando. Now, Kathy's here this morning, and Kathy and Fernando have blessed us over the years at Inspire, haven't they? And uh, Rob, of course, has a brother, an older brother named Dan, who's on the pastoral team here. Now, believe it or not, even Kathy has parents. <laughs> and they also came up on stage last Inspire. Bob and Bev Harvey. So Bob will be sharing the scriptures with us in a moment. But uh, I just want to say that Bob and Bev served in Brazil for 30 years. 40. Oh, 40 years. He's as old as Trevor. I mean, as young as Trevor. <laughs> and um, they went to school together. They used slates together back in those days. <laughs> And, um, but they work with a mission agency called WEC International, WEC International. WEC stands for Worldwide Evangelization for Christ. And uh, Kathy and Fernando also work with that same mission as uh, Bob, uh, uh, Bruce and Annette Rattray. Bruce is with the Lord. Annette is, uh, I don't know if she's here today, but she's often with us. But they served the Lord in, for 30 years in Indonesia. And uh, I also work with the same mission. And there are also some other ladies here today that have come all the way from Adelaide this morning to be, to be with us. Now they're up here on holidays. Um, one is Jenny. She and her husband were the principals of the Bible school I went to many years ago. Uh, they're also the international directors of the mission for a number of years. And uh, Helga has served the Lord in the Gambia in West Africa and also in Jordan in the Middle East. And... Uh, Let's give them a welcome. Stand up. Okay, stand up. There you are. No, 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 just them. Thank you. Okay. All right, well, that's probably enough introduction. Bob, would you come up, please? And let's give Bob a warm, bridgy welcome. building we had steps that came up here and you didn't have to leave home so early to get here yeah that's right <laughs> let me pray for you bob yeah, first. okay brother you father we thank you for your word we thank you lord that it's life it's spirit to us and uh, we want to experience that today thank you lord for bob his love for jesus his service for you in for for decades not only in brazil but in australia and other parts of the world as well and uh, we pray that as he shares with us today our hearts will be inspired and enriched in our walk with Jesus. Bless him now, bless our own hearts, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, brother. Good morning. From Latin America, I would say, bon dia. That's from Brazil, of course, because we speak Portuguese in Brazil, but if it was other places, I'd say, buenos dias, which is good morning. So, good morning. Uh, I guess you're wondering what my name is uh, just by looking at my shirt. 
I thought I'd wear my clown outfit today because I'm supposed to inspire you. It actually is a Brazilian, it is a Brazilian shirt that my son gave me. And uh, who does it remind you of in the Bible? Joseph, of course. Well, if you went to Brazil and you didn't know somebody's name, well, Latin America, anywhere really, if you call them Joseph, you're probably right. Because it's like the Smiths around here. Well, it used to be. Now it's like Kawawachki or somebody like that. <laughs> Joseph and Mary are the two most common names in Latin America. As a matter of fact, a lot of boys are called Mary and a lot of girls are called Joseph. Can you believe that? I have several friends who are called, in Portuguese, we would say, Maria José, which means Mary Joseph. And I have some, um, that's girls, and I have some boys whose names are José Maria, which is Joseph Mary. So it's a bit confusing. I know yeah, the gender thing is very confusing here these days, but uh, over there it's not really that bad. So... It's very interesting in Latin America, everywhere you go, you see evidence of the Bible. Why do you think that is? Whose influence would that be from? The Roman Catholic Church. The early Roman Catholic missionaries who came to Brazil in the 1500s and catechized the people and baptized millions call them Christians, but were they Christians? A bit of water on the head, does that change the heart? It does not. And so what happened was that they said, yes, we'll be Christians. But deep down, many of them were slaves from Africa, of course, in the 1500s. Remember all the slaves that came across? Many of them were slaves and so they said, yes, we'll be Christians. But deep down, they kept their African gods. So you find right across Brazil today and Latin America, a lot of black magic, spiritism, voodoo. They call it uh, umbanda, kibanda. There's a whole lot of bandas. But they've all got Satan at the, at the root. And it was great that this, this morning we sang that wonderful song, What a Wonderful Name It Is, the Name of Jesus. You know, there's nothing that stimulates your faith greater than to see the power of the name of Jesus. The authority that he has. Brian said, without me you can't do anything, but with him... I give you authority over all the power of the enemy. Isn't that amazing? And we have seen, we went, you know, I don't know much about inspiring. Well, let's, let's get back to inspiring. What is inspire, to inspire? To give courage. Well, you know, a lot of inspiration is self-motivated. But inspiration that comes from the Lord is when he touches your heart and impels you to do something. That's inspiration. God touches your heart 
and out of that flows something good because the Lord has moved you. Well, you know, I didn't know much about inspiration. Going back to start the story because we'll come back to that. In 1955, I was inspired, self-inspiration, for tennis. Ah, Frank Sedgman, can you believe it? Yesterday I was talking to a guy, I didn't even know who Frank Sedgman was. That's how long ago it was. I wanted to be like Frank Sedgman. And I played tennis day and night, even used to hit, it, hit the ball against the wall in our... our uh, our home at Fairfield. But it wasn't until I met Jesus that true inspiration came to me because it's something of the heart. I bent my knee to King Jesus under the ministry of George Francis. Some of you probably, who knows George? A new George. Several people. On the 31st of August, 1955, Bent the knee and became a Christian. But I was an only child and so I kept it quiet from my parents. Used to read the Bible under the, the, the bed covers with a torch. But then one day at high school in 1957, the Lord grabbed my heart. I was reading Song of Solomon and it said, after I left the guards... I met him whom my soul loves. I held him and I wouldn't let him go until I took him home to my mother's house. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, Bob, have you taken me home to your mother's house? Oh Lord, it's hard because I'm an only son and we're so harmonious, we got on so well, I don't want to break it up. Bob, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. I used to read the Bible every day at school. You know I love you, Lord. Take me home to your mother's house. Oh, Lord. So I complained, had this discussion with the Lord until finally I said, okay, Lord, I'll do it. That day I did. Took Jesus home. As soon as I told my mum that I'd surrendered to Jesus, Lord, she just broke down in tears. Not of joy, but of fear because she was afraid that I might become a missionary and what she feared came upon her. Years later, she bent the knee to King Jesus and she was so proud that she had a son that was a missionary. That was the start when the Lord touched my heart and inspired me to start living for Jesus. And we saw God do some amazing things at State High. I don't know whether Trevor remembers. Revolution Day one day at State High. A friend of mine, Don Lloyd, you might remember Don, used to pray every morning that God would open the way for us to share Jesus with people. With the school. Oh, what an impossible prayer. How can you share Jesus with the school? On Revolution Day, one of the boys in our class, Samios was his name, said, Bob, have you got your Bible here today? They knew I used to read the Bible. They knew I was a Christian. I said, yes, I have. He said, it's Revolution Day today. We do crazy things. We blow up lockers with uh, crackers. We 
pick up the staff cars and put them between two trees so they can't get out. How about coming down and giving us a talk? Oh, I said, love to do that. So down I go at midday to the park and there's our whole class sitting there. Seniors, 1959. And I start cheering Jesus with them. The whole lunch hour. And as we're going along, the other kids, Revolution Day, see these seniors, even a prefect out the front talking to them, getting together. What's happening up there? Must be Revolution Day. Let's go up. And the kids start coming from down below. And the teachers see the kids coming and they come down to see what's happening. And they stand around. And I share Jesus. What a privilege. What an answer to prayer. Then we prayed that Billy Graham might come and speak to State High, 1959. He couldn't come, but Leighton Ford did. We went down to the Odeon Theatre at West End and the school heard the gospel from Leighton Ford. You see, the Lord inspires us. He touches us. He moves us. He gets us moving for him to honour him and to glorify his name wherever we are. Let me just make this a little bit bigger here. It's a bit tiny for my, my eyes at the moment. Um, where am I? Can I remember how to do this? Um, all right, I can't remember how to do it. I'm under stress. <laughs> I'm under stress. But that's all right. So the Lord had a plan. My mum wept. I wept too with her. But I wept for joy that I'd obeyed the Lord and shared him. And God started directing our paths. And of course, the next thing I needed was a partner, a wife. When I met Bev at Beach Mission, stand up, sweetie. Just show your lovely face to everybody. Bev's a rock. She was the rock that kept me on track. First question I asked her, if God calls me to be a missionary, will you let me go? I'm going by Chermside Cemetery, it was. I remembered it like a... <laughs> like a I didn't ask her to marry me. I just asked her if she'd let me go. She said, yes, God's will and nothing less. I thought, yes, this is the girl I want. The Lord led us together and guided us to Brazil in 1967. What a, an adventure that was. We got there, we knew nothing. Couldn't speak, didn't know how to act. Everything's back to front over there, you're getting the buses at the wrong end. You go like that, you think you're waving to people, you're telling them to come. You kiss people, everybody, on both cheeks. You hug men and you rub their tummies. Oh man, everything is so strange. But the Lord took us there. The only thing that I knew to do was encourage people. That's all I knew. 
Well, I said, Lord, you've got a purpose here. He'd already told us that we were to go to Brazil to encourage the Brazilian church to get moving in world missions, cross-cultural missions. Brazilians going out to the end of the earth, bringing Jesus to people. That's why we went to Brazil. So we're all excited to get started, isn't it? We got there and we said to the team, the WEC team, about 35 there at the time, all doing church planting in a state called Minas Gerais, which means general mining. It's full of minerals of all kinds, iron ore and rubies and diamonds and anything you can imagine. It's one of the richest states in Brazil. The other states, of course, lots of them have got uh, interesting names. Holy Spirit, that's the name of one state, Espírito Santo. Holy Spirit state. Can you believe it? Can you believe that there are so many people named Jesus in Brazil? It's unbelievable. Jesus. I know stacks of them. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, but we got there into this state with all this religious stuff and there's crosses everywhere on people's chests. One day I was talking about Jesus being in our heart, living in our heart, in our spirit. And one man said, yeah, look, here he's, on, he's in my heart. And he opened up and had a great big cross like that, huge thing on his chest. So the team said to us, Bob and Bev, after we told them about our vision for motivating them for mission, he said, missions? We don't know anything about that. Our job is to plant churches and evangelize in all of these towns that don't know anything about Jesus. I said, that's fine. We'll just put it on a hook in God's time. So for seven years, that was on a hook. Just waiting. Man, be patient. God's got a plan. Okay, Lord, <laughs> when's it going to happen? I'm looking at it. Seven years we waited. We went way up in the bush, 450 k's of dirt road and 400 k's of of Asheville to get to a little village called Manga on the San Francisco River. We worked there for three years. Then we went down to Mariana, a Roman Catholic fortress. We had the archbishop and we had a seminary for two seminaries for priests and we had about 15 huge monstrous Catholic churches with gold inside where the people, the slaves had built them with walls this thick made of mud, huge cathedrals. But the people didn't know the Jesus who's close, who's alive. At five o'clock or 5.30, I'd be going down the road to get some bread down the bakery, six o'clock, and the folks would be coming back from the church. They'd been to their early morning thing down there at the church. Dedicated. As they came out of church, they'd kiss the rope of a, of a Jesus carrying a cross. A dead Christ. The Lord was trying to teach us something. So we learned for six, seven years and then during those seven years, an amazing thing happened. The Spirit of God began moving across Brazil in such a way that you would never 
believe. The Assembly of God Church particularly exploded. It began spreading throughout Brazil and lots of the towns where we as a mission had planned to move in and plant a church, all of a sudden we didn't need to. They had a church. There were churches there. They were just popping up like mushrooms. Thousands of people were coming to the Lord. Christians were coming out of their shells. You'd go down the street in Belo Horizonte and there'd be a, a Christian just standing in the park talking about Jesus with a crowd of about 30 or 40 or 50 people standing around him. I used to do a lot of traveling and as I'd travel in the buses, I'd be sitting there and somebody would get up and they'd go down the front of the bus near the driver. As we're driving along, mind you, no seatbelts or anything, you just hang onto the thing there, onto the rail. I just want to tell you guys about the Lord Jesus. He changed my life. And he's down, down the front of the bus there giving a testimony. And after he'd finished his testimony, he'd pull out a stack of tracks and he'd go down the, down the bus and give everybody a tract. And this happened every time just about that I traveled, I would hear somebody behind me talking about Jesus, sharing him. Of course, one of the main reasons was that God inspired. He touched hearts and people responded and started praying. There were all nights of prayer, all days of prayer. Churches would go up onto the hilltop in Belo Horizonte. That's where we lived, a city of about four million people. And they would look over the city and pray the whole night for God to pour out his spirit. And God did. One of the tiny churches called Lagoinha, it's a bit like Bridgman Downs. God started moving there. People getting converted, transformed on fire for Jesus, and now Lagoinha is a monster. Not just in Belo Horizonte, but scattered around Brazil in so many places. The Spirit of God began to move in amazing ways. You know, he moves in amazing ways. He doesn't always do <clears throat> miracles sort of thing, but he just works. We've seen the miracles, even ourselves. Like a policeman puts his hand up to, to tell the traffic to stop. Do they stop? When a policeman puts his hand? Why do they stop? because he's got a policeman's uniform on. If he went out there without his uniform on, put his hand up for the traffic, would they stop? Blah, 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 look out. He's got authority. And oh, we've seen the precious, wonderful name of Jesus with the hand over a demon-possessed person. There's so many demonic, so much demonic activity in Brazil and Latin America, as I said, because of the, the spiritist influence from the voodoo, French spiritual, spiritualism, and also uh, from the Indian tribes, their own animistic culture with their worship of demons and spirits and so on. So it's all there. So in Brazil, one of the most wonderful things that God uses is the wonderful name of Jesus to set people free. 
In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I command you, evil spirit, to come out of this person. And God sets them free. Deliverance is one of the great ways that the Lord has worked in Brazil. Finally, the door opened for us to start sharing about missions. The team said, wow, Bob, you guys came with a vision for missions. We never thought it was going to happen, but now look what's happening. Get into it. So we started, praying that the Lord would bring along candidates, people who had a heart for missions. But where do you start? I'm an unknown little fella from Aussie land. Nobody's ever heard of me. Where do you start with 140 million people and you want to challenge all of these churches that are springing up, there's Baptists and Presbyterians and Methodists and there's Charismatic Baptists and Charismatic Presbyterians and Charismatic Methodists and there's all kinds of stuff and you can hardly speak Portuguese. I remember my first sermon all fired up, little Pentecostal church, and a guy in the front seat like Trev down here, hallelujah. And I'd say another sentence, hallelujah. Oh, man. Every time he said hallelujah, I lost track. <laughs> I didn't know where I was. He put me off. I had it all in my head. And the Lord, hallelujah. Oh, finally, I had to say, brother, could you please keep your hallelujahs? I can't keep my mind on track. <laughs> he was kind enough to restrain himself. But what can this little guy do? You know, we didn't do anything in Brazil. God did it all. He took us to a brother called Achilles Barbosa, a lovely pastor. His father had been a missionary in Portugal. He let us preach in his church. By that time, I could get by with the hallelujahs. And after church, he said, Bob, you've got a heart for missions. I'm running a Bible school. It was a Baptist Bible school. Would you come along and share on missions? Teach on missions. I haven't got a teacher on missions. We want to teach missions. I said, I'd love to. So I went along and started sharing on missions. That opened the door to lots of these guys who later on became pastors and invited me to preach in their churches. But Achilles was a member of the Renewed Baptist Church. It's kind of a charismatic Baptist church. And every year they used to have a huge convention where all of the renewed Christians, that's the ones who believed in the gifts of the Holy Spirit for today and and so on, they would all gather, Presbyterians, Baptists, Methodists, all kinds of denominations would come for this huge convention. Bob, do you think you could speak at our convention on missions? Oh, brother, I'd love to speak at your convention. That's why we're here, to share about the challenge of the whole wide world for Jesus. After we'd shared at missions, the doors just opened right across the whole of Brazil. 
Brother, could you come and preach over here in Acre? Could you come and preach up in Marayon? Could you come and share this message at the Bible school here and the Bible school there? And then my wife became a widow. Because I left her. I went off sometimes three weeks out of four. I'd be off up the northeast, 25 hours by bus. Or down the south of Brazil, down to Rio, Sao Paulo, all over the place. In Bible schools, churches, conferences, meeting pastors, encouraging them. Even they invited us onto the, to meet with the mission board to try to help them how to get started with missions. The Assembly of God, can you believe it, didn't even have a mission board. Each church used to send a missionary. They only had about a dozen. Most of them would come back after a short time because they had no orientation. So they invited us to come and help them. Little by little, God started moving. Then an association of missions was formed. The various denominational missions and others coming together to encourage one another and help one another. God did it all. He took a team of people, put them together, and we would travel together and share on missions around the whole of Brazil. One of those brothers became the leader of the World Evangelical Fellowship Missions Department. Jonathan Ferreira dos Santos. And he's still in the saddle in his 85th year or so, still sharing on the Lord Jesus and the challenge of the whole wide world for Jesus. God is amazing. That's a team. But individuals started having amazing experiences. Carelza, I don't know whether Jenny met Carelza Santana, went to Italy. She contacted us and she said, God is calling me into missions. We said, hallelujah, we're looking for people that God is calling. So she said, um, can you come to my church and meet me? So we went down and met her church and a pastor and so on. She filled in her application forms. We accepted her to come to missions. So she said, okay, Lord, I'm going. So the church gave her a farewell and they gave her a suitcase. That's all she had. Didn't have any money. But she had a suitcase with her things in it. So the day came for her to go and off she goes to the bus. Lines up in the queue to buy a bus ticket from Sao Paulo to Belo Horizonte, which is about 600 kilometres. And she's standing there, no money, suitcase by the side, a call of God in her heart. There's five people in front. Then there's four people. Then there's three people. She says, thank you, Lord. I don't know how you're going to do this, but I know you want me in Belo Horizonte. Two people. Praise your name, Lord. You're so good. And then an old friend comes by and says, Oh, hello, Creelza. How are you? Where are you going? Oh, she says, I'm going to Belo Horizonte to do my candidate orientation course to go 
to Italy as a missionary. Oh, he said, I was going to Belo Horizonte too, but there's something uh, unpredictable happened and I can't go. Would you like my ticket? Would you like to buy my ticket? Yes, she said, I'd like to buy your ticket. Didn't say I don't have any money. Here you are. Ah, he said, forget the money. You can have it. She came to Belo Horizonte. What an evangelist, trusting the God, trusting the Lord. On Sunday, she'd round up people to go to church with her. I used to get up early because there was so much to do, but her light, her light was always on before I got up, seeking the Lord. When it came time for her to go to Italy, we said, all right, Creosa, you're all set to go. How's your finances? She said, what finances? How are you going to get to Italy? She said, I'm going to go in a big ship. What? A big ship, a big white ship. She said, it's going to be a very, very long journey too. I said, what are you talking about? She said, before I came into candidates' course, God spoke to my heart, the Spirit of God in Latin America, working in her heart, and he gave her a vision of this huge white ship traveling to Italy, except that it was a roundabout route. So I said, oh, as a matter of fact, the OM ship has just arrived in Brazil. Dulos. I said, let me ring them up and see if you could go with them. She had to go to England first to learn English and then on to Italy. So I rang them up and said, yes, we'd love to have them. No, no charge. Wow. There goes, goes Corelza and another missionary who went with her as well. Two of them heading for England on the Dulos. I went to Sao Paulo with, her, with them. When we got there, here's this huge white ship. First thing she says, this is the one. This is the one the Lord showed me. So she gets on board <clears throat> and they discover that she speaks Portuguese, French, Spanish. She'd worked as a nanny in Argentina with a French-speaking family, learnt French with them, spoke Spanish like a Spaniard. So along the way, what do they need? Interpreters. So here's Carrioza interpreting along the way. And what do they need? Evangelists. Here's Carrioza, an evangelist like I've never met in my life. So she becomes the leader of the evangelistic team. The next thing, OM's writing to us and saying, do you mind if Carrioza extends her stay? Two years later, she got to Italy. A long trip. God moving across Latin America. But you know, he moves in amazing ways. Here's a missionary. He's been years and years and years in Brazil. <clears throat> Convinced in his heart that a missionary has to be a pastor. 
and he's pastored a church and it fell to bits. And he pastored another church and he fell to bits. And so here we are gathered together praying for this brother. An amazing brother. Fix anything. Build anything. Builder, mechanic, electrician, plumber. Name it, he had it. And then on fire for Jesus. But a pastor just didn't have it. But when he served people, he would share Jesus with them. He would bless them. Maybe he's like some of you guys. You're not preachers, you're not teachers, you're not anything. But when you, when you help people, just interact with them. You're free to talk and the Lord blesses you and uses you to touch their hearts. So I said, Pete, have you ever thought that God has given you a gift of helping? In the Bible it's called helps. I said, we'd like to release you from pastoral, evangelistic type ministry to just being a helps person, to help the churches, to help the missionaries. Pete just broke down. I've never seen a man weep or cry with sobs so greatly as the Spirit of God just touched his heart and set him free to be what God wanted him to be. Maybe you're like that today. You've tried and tried to be something that you thought God wanted you to be, but it hasn't worked. Maybe today he just wants you to be you. To be what he made you to be. And just relax and enjoy him and share Jesus out of your heart. Jesus touches lives in such an amazing way. Our ministry spread from Brazil to Latin America. We had the privilege of being invited to supervise our WEC teams across Latin America. That took us to Venezuela, Colombia, Mexico, and other countries as well in the course of ministry, Costa Rica, Uruguay, and a whole stack of them. So we had to learn Spanish as well. That's why we can speak a bit of Spanish. Um, when we were in Mexico one time, we were out having a day out with the WEC team and they were playing a bit of basketball. And this dirty guy, I mean, he was so dirty and, and uh, obviously a street person of some kind, a beggar, he came up and uh, there was a group of young people and they gradually edged away <laughs> as this guy drew near. And he sat down there, just looking at these kids playing. Everybody kept well away. But one of, the, one of our missionary team, as he looked at this guy, God touched his heart. That's what inspiration is. God touches your heart and something happens. Let me interrupt here for a second. 
This is like us before we met the Lord Jesus. Just dry. Dry old sponge. There's rivers of living water available in the Lord Jesus. There's a transformed life available. There's a cleaned up life available. Come, drink of the waters of life freely. When we drink, those waters are transformed into springs of living water within that Jesus said the Holy Spirit would flow out and we've seen it in Latin America. It happens here too in your life and my life when God transforms us. So when we bend the knee to King Jesus and surrender to his majesty, say, here I am, Lord, forgive me, cleanse me, take me, make me into what you want me to be. And God starts working. The first thing he does, he picks us up and he puts us into Jesus. He joins us to Jesus. This is, you can see the water in there, can you? I hope you can. So there, there's the sponge in Jesus. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Jesus is everything you need. There's nothing else. What about the grace of God? Oh, God, give me grace. As though grace is something out there. Oh, grab a bit of it. There's no grace out there. Grace is in here, in Jesus. All you need, need peace, he is our peace.